0: our broadcast, I am your host Emily Anderson, a singer-songwriter from Alaska. As a reminder, the information provided during this event is for educational purposes only. This event does not create a doctor-patient relationship. For any medical questions, please reach out to your primary care or health care professional. Let's get started. Joining me today will be Renee Rafferty, the Regional Director of Behavioral Health Services for Providence Health and Services Alaska. Julia Louie, VOA, Alaska Vice President of Treatment Services and Melissa Merrick, a licensed clinical social worker and clinical director for South Central Foundation. Welcome everyone.
1: Hello, thank you.
0: Thank you for being here. So let's let's get started. Um, Please tell us a little bit about yourself and what role you have in supporting the mental health of the young people in Alaska. And we'll get started with you, Renee. I'm
2: hey, really excited to be here, Emily. Um, I am a lifelong Alaskan and I truly um, believe that as a community, we have to come together to support the mental health and wellness in, in every role that we have. So as a mother, as um, a community member, and as a behavioral health leader, I'm very passionate about um, providing resources and educating and supporting um, mental health and resilience among Alaskans. So excited to have this conversation today. And, and um, as my role at Providence, part of what I do is to help determine, um, you know, which partnerships we can, we can have in the community to do that. And I'm really excited that South Central Foundation and um, volunteers of Alaska are here today.
0: Wonderful. Melissa, would you be able to tell us a little bit about your role? Sure.
1: Thank you, Emily. So um, as clinical director here at South Central Foundation for our behavioral health services division, part of my role is really to ensure quality of care as well as really important entry points for all of our individuals. That receive services here, and in doing so, really making
3: uh, our health and emotional
1: health just as important as our medical health. Providing access to mental health in any way, in any entrance into our our system, and helping really elevate the
3: conversation that, in addition to things like blood. pressure
1: and um, blood pressure and like heart disease. We should also be talking about emotional wellness and doing that at a very young age, continuing across the lifespan. And and that is how we will make impact into our mental health system and really creating services for people that need them. I love
0: that. I completely agree. Julia, would you be able to, to
3: share
4: a little bit about yourself and what your role is? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for being here. And it's it's so um, incredible to be just surrounded by really strong and um, passionate women. So I'm super excited to, to be with you all today. Um, I've born and raised in Alaska. I spent most of my adolescence though in Northern California, but made my way back when I was about 20. Um, I'm, a, I'm a mom, I'm a stepmom, I'm a dog mom and a lover of all things sports and outdoors. Um, my most favorite role in my life is definitely my mom role. Um, here at VOA, I oversee our clinical treatment programs. So the role that I have in supporting the mental health of the young people in Alaska, it includes the voice that I bring to each and every table that I'm invited to. Um, I consider myself a a strong advocate and feel really passionate about serving our young people with quality behavioral health services. Um, I provide support and oversight to our various teams throughout the continuum of care and ensure quality services are being provided and addressing any gaps or unmet needs of the population that we serve.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you all so much for sharing. And I feel so grateful to be with you and having this conversation with you today. Um, As we all know, this has been uh, an incredibly, our favorite unprecedented year and a half. Um, How would you say the pandemic has affected young people in Alaska and their mental health during this unprecedented time? Can we start with you, Melissa?
1: Sure, I'm happy to jump in. Um, So, you know, the pandemic has definitely provided us a lot of challenges as well as a lot of opportunities. So the challenges, as we all know, isolation being um, pulled away from primary support groups in our in the school setting. So from a teen and a young person perspective, really being stuck at home oftentimes in situations that That may have been chaotic or challenging, trying to help support younger children, younger siblings in the home, while also maintaining their own school and uh, presence and not being able to lean on their uh, friend network, as well as trusted adults that they may have outside of their their life. So that has absolutely been a challenge and we've seen increasing um, concerns around depression, anxiety, thoughts around suicidality on the flip side i would say that the pandemic has provided us an opportunity to reach more teens through things like telehealth and have actually found that teens have engaged in telehealth services in a way that was a little bit surprising to us something related to being on the screen felt very comfortable and familiar to them and so we've seen an increase in um, desire
3: and interest to engage in mental
1: health Services
2: here at South Central. Yeah, I'll add to that um, and just say that as the the importance of mental health and resilience became more highlighted because people were struggling, um, there's been more conversations about how do we work together to, to provide care, and uh, we are um, dedicated at Providence to continue to try to meet people where they are in the community and. And, I'm, and we have two partners here with SCF and and volunteers of America that are really doing that as well. And so we're coming together in situations like this to talk about it to decrease stigma to increase access in the schools and to think about ways that um, we can continue to use this time to really highlight the importance of mental health being Um, In the workplace and in the school environment being something that we talk about and think about in a trauma informed way because we've all had had a really challenging year and so it's in some ways that has been really exciting, but very hard to see that um, that
3: people are suffering more and and kids are struggling and so central yeah i'll add to that
2: um, and just say that as the the importance of mental health and resilience became more highlighted because people were struggling um, there's been more conversations about how do we work together to, to provide care and uh, we are um, dedicated at providence to continue to try to meet people where they are in the community and and I'm, and we have two partners here with SCF and, and Volunteers of America that are really doing that as well. And so we're coming together in situations like this to talk about it, to decrease stigma, to increase access in the schools, and to think about ways that um, we can continue to use this time to really highlight the importance of mental health being um, in the workplace and in the school environment, being something that we talk about and think about in a trauma-informed way because we've all ha- had a really challenging year. And so it's in some ways that has been really exciting, but very hard to see that, um, that people are suffering more and, and kids are struggling and um, not even wanting to come back to school when school was in play because their anxiety or depression got so much worse.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: I'll pause
2: there and see if Julie wants to add to that
4: as well yeah absolutely no i just kind of want to um, reiterate what you both said we also saw an increase in the need for residential and crisis services i think without that surveillance system of um, school really kind of keeping
3: um, the need
4: for more support um, rapidly and so we kind of transitioned some of our access and entry points during that time to provide free consultations, referral navigation, and same day services, so that, that when people were calling us, it wasn't, you know, well, you could go here, you could go here, you could go here, or we can do this, and this is kind of the process that it t- takes. It was, how can we help you right now? Um, and that immediate support um, was, was something that, w- that we did in response to the, in response to the um, increased need that we were seeing I think Renee, you touched on it too. Um, You know, kids going back into schools. I think what we um, have learned and are continuing to kind of process through with the kids as they start to go um, through summer and then back through the fall as well as the changing of roles that they had. You know, when the pandemic hit, so many of our kids were um, still expected to keep their schooling um, up to par, but then they were also helping their parents with their younger siblings and. Being way more involved in kind of the home life day to day, so that role confusion was really tricky. To then go back to school and you're a kid again, and it, it's not a light switch. You know, it, it takes some time to just kind of transition, and um, I think it's just something for us to be to be mindful of too. So well,
0: kind of sorry.
2: Oh no, I just said that. Well said. I thought that was a really important yeah. component.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree. Thank you all so much for for sharing this insight. Uh, Kind of jumping off of that a little bit. What advice or what might you say to parents uh, with teens that might be struggling um, or their peers? What can what can parents do? What can teen peers do to help the people in their life that might be struggling with uh, mental health? crisis.
1: Let's uh can we start with uh Melissa? Sure. Um so the the two quick things that came to my mind were number one really just um normalize the conversation, really lean into it. It is okay to experience struggles. It's okay to experience conflicting emotions. It's really part of the human experience. And so really just normalizing that and also creating that safe Place. So being that warm open env- environment and sometimes that might involve sharing stories, sharing some of their own struggles and how they worked through that and navigated that. We want to make sure we do that in an environment that feels safe and that has resources mm-hmm. so that we don't necessarily
4: and we all have our limitations. And what we've heard from teens is, you know, they can understand where their limit is and they need to tap in an adult, but they're really scared to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And it takes a lot of courage to take that step because sometimes it just looks a little different and people may not be receptive to the approach that you took um, and definitely is um, something brave to do, but um, it's necessary at times. For parents and for kids, I would say, you know, what does not getting help look like? Um, And really try to imagine that and kind of walk that path a little bit to really be able to see and process both avenues um, and go from there. Holding space with people is the most important part Um, and just hearing them out and being relatable and normalizing it as much as possible because therapy is amazing. Um, and it's it's life changing and it's, it's not scary once you're in it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and I, I would add that I think um, this idea that we have to be in crisis to ask for help is something that we all have to work on recognizing that our mental health um, is, is something that we have to tend to and that, it, and that part of being human means that you are going to, to, to struggle and it is okay and if if there is a conversation where somebody brings it up to follow back around and say you know uh thank you for sharing that with me thank you for talking about it and and normalizing that you know maybe maybe i haven't thought about it in this way but i've probably struggled as well during this time i mean when people say that out loud i say all the time we all have mental health issues we all struggle, and that it doesn't mean that you ever get to a place where you you have it all figured out. That isn't that isn't accurate. And I think sometimes when we focus on decreasing that stigma, and that people hear it, and and from leaders in the community they hear it from people that are, um, you know, appear to be doing really well. but when they say it's okay to share and talk, that decreases the the fear in talking about it, and that realizing anytime um, you reach out and share your feelings, that's that's a sign of courage. And that type of vulnerability is something um, that is is um, to be celebrated. Mm-hmm.
0: Wonderful. Thank you all so much for sharing. i I do have a question. Um, we use the terms like self-care a lot as a society, I feel like that's, that's something that is new and and seems to be like trendy what does self care actually mean what cuz it's not just you know getting a manicure or like doing a face mask that what is what does self care actually mean to you um, julia do you start this one off
4: sure yeah uh, it definitely can get kind of get trendy um, and it's it's kind of that buzzword, um, but for me and, and what I try to um, really kind of coach our staff is it means putting time into into yourself now to feed yourself later. Um, so it's about being honest and intentional and it also requires us to be disciplined um, and that part is really, really tricky to do so love to hear more from Melissa and Renee what what you all think. Means the tough, tough least. Although manicures are lovely and (laughs) those should be prioritized too.
1: You know, I appreciate, Julia, that you said discipline because self care is hard. Um, We often prioritize other people, and teens do that as well. They often don't prioritize themselves. While that may feel in conflict of how some people think of teens, they, they are often prioritizing their family, their peer group, and so that attention to ourselves um, is really, really important. And it's in, um, you know, at a societal level, it's also something that we, we are getting better at promoting, but we don't always promote attending to ourselves. And so having that discipline really building in as a routine part of your daily routine but self-care looks and feels different to everybody. My self-care routine might be different than Renee's or yours or um, Emily or Julia's and that's okay. It's really about what works for us and finding that balance. The last thing I'd say is that self-care changes. What might work for me today might not work for me a year from now. And so back to that attending to what that self-care looks like and the more we understand our emotions and know about ourselves, the better we can really understand how does self-care change for us and what do I need to do do I need to dial in more or can I back up a little bit? But that prioritization of self is really important.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I think everything you guys said um, is is so important to it. When you create a plan for yourself, it you have to listen deeply to what you need. And and what I try to focus on with either whether it's in my family life or it's at work is this idea to, to really create space to think about what is my body telling me I might need. So I might need quiet time. I might need connection to other people. I might need to think about a goal that I would set related to, um, how I'm moving. Maybe I'm not somebody that's really into athletics or sports, um, but I'm somebody that, um, you know, likes to be able to go for walks or I might like to dance or play and to know that that's gotta be a, um, that movement itself is so important for all of us, but it doesn't have to look like what, you know, somebody else might do. We we can, for me, dancing is like a really big deal and I do it by myself and, you know, in my living room, I do it with my daughter, with my friends, but for other people, they may not feel comfortable doing that. It is gonna be that they would wanna go to the gym and and all of those things are okay. Um, but we have to keep listening and trusting our inner um, messages and getting to know what they are so that we don't miss them. Because when you miss that, you really need connection and maybe it's scare out and get help. Um, and you just kind of avoid that. That's where the discipline comes in that we were talking about it to, to say, okay, maybe, maybe my, I need to set some goals around asking for help and, um, or I, my goals maybe need to be that I'm creating some way to um, connect with art and music. And and I know, Emily, that that's something really, um, you're super passionate and, and mm-hmm. talented around. And, and that's for, for all of us, I think we have to find ways to bring those things in that bring joy and bring um, a sense of calm and connectedness. And you can be creative with it, but we have to keep growing those skills.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I, I feel like as, as a someone who was born and raised in Alaska um it's it's a challenging place to to live it's a it's a beautiful place I absolutely love the community there I loved growing up in Alaska I wouldn't treat it for the world but it has its its challenges and kind of going off of what you were saying Renee about being scared of that first step of asking for help being afraid and unsure Uh, of where to turn to, what would you say to someone who is maybe in that spot right now? They don't know exactly who to ask or what to do or where to go, but they know that they need an extra support. Where would you say they should go?
2: Do you want me to start with that
0: one? Um, Sure, yeah.
2: So number one is to know that um, there is help available. And and certainly, the beauty of some of the technology we have is that we have texting crisis lines so that maybe if you don't feel comfortable reaching out to the to the people closest to you um that you are maybe scared that they might you know not be be able to know what to say or do crisis lines i think are, can be very helpful but sometimes i think too it's just to really speak to yourself in a kind way and say it's okay to need that and to try to practice that that's a tough thing and i think I love when you hear teens that have really focused on self-care. They're some of our um, biggest teachers about how to be kind to ourselves and to know that um, we have to actually say to to ourselves, it's okay to struggle, it's okay to get help. And then um, whatever resource you turn to, whether it's a, t- a texting line or a, a call center or it's a um, mental health professional within your community, those are, those are um, brave steps to make. So I would start there and I'll let Um, Melissa and Julia start
1: next. Those are great things. I um, was just sitting in that everybody, including teens, need a toolbox and that toolbox can be full of a lot of different things that we can pull out out, at the time. Um, So whether that is a trusted adult, a trusted friend, the crisis hotline or um, listening to music or, um, you know, I love, Renee, that you talked about being kind to ourselves because Teens can often be their own worst critics um, that need to belong and be connected to the peers, can create an inner dialogue that can be really challenging to break sometimes. So learning how to silence that inner critic and really highlight resiliency and success with ourselves is um, is a lifelong skill to learn. And um, so part of me would always wanna start where the team wants to start. What is it that they feel like they can do right now to start addressing some of those um, some of those ways in which they think they can seek help.
4: Yeah, and and beautifully said, Melissa, I I love how you said really trying to to map out where to go by making sure that the youth's voice is being heard. Because if we try to make kids go to services and you need this and you need this, then you're just kind of creating another authority figure in their life, they have enough. Um, So I think that was a really important point to, to make
0: and it's never one size fits all it's always gotta who whomever where they're at um i think
2: i think too it's really important to let kids know that if they're worried about one of their friends that that is a time to to reach out and to to get support from an adult and to say okay how can we approach this and even if you're right they they may not be ready to come to us and talk to us then by continuing to to recognize it's not just one conversation it's it's multiple conversations and by just saying that you care and that you're here you might have to say that a few times before the person is ready to open up but the letting one of the recently i um had one of the kids that i was talking to they had listened to a podcast of just learning how if somebody is suicidal or is having thoughts um that they're feeling really hopeless that You know it is it is okay for you to get help from an adult too and we will we'll help you figure out where to go next but like you said it's not like julia said it's not about um forcing anybody it's about just creating an open conversation and that comes with compassion and and listening um and just saying it's it's we're here to to support you in talking openly
0: absolutely and it also comes with a deep respect for youth. I feel like a lot of times, Mm -hmm. teens are kind of written off as like, oh, you're just being a a teenager. But teenagers are, they're human beings. They, They have complicated emotions. They have, you know, deep felt human experiences that shouldn't just be belittled. And I remember feeling that way as a teen and trying to like get help from me or my friend and just struggling with like being believed and i think that as a society this is changing this is shifting it's getting much better but just remembering that like just because you're young doesn't mean that you're not struggling or that your struggles don't mean as much as someone who has lived more years than you um so i think that's that's really amazing and um all the work that you're doing is just helping make that change, which is wonderful. So thank you for that. I do want to talk a little bit about your specific roles in um, Providence, SCF, and VOA, and what they've been doing to try to increase access to mental health resources. Uh, Can we start with you, Julia?
4: Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this last year um, we've expanded um, quite a bit in our service array to meet the increasing needs of mental health services within our outpatient program and also our supportive housing program. Um, I think, Melissa, you mentioned it, um, also the opportunity of COVID um, was the expansion of telehealth services statewide because of some of the red tape that existed there. Um, And so we've seen um, some really great benefit um, offering that line of services throughout our continuum as well. We've worked closely with Providence and the Anchorage School District in expanding space services in our effort to go where the need is. And between our two agencies, we expanded to seven additional sites this last year. Um, and this model isn't just about one-on-one individual therapy with referred students. We're really working together to build an integrated model that provides universal services, support for teachers, and really trying to move upstream um in partnering more with the entities of where the kids are the kids are in schools they're somewhere in shelters and so that has really been a focus here at voa to go where the kids are and and be a resource Mm
0: -hmm. that's great
1: it's great work
0: melissa can you
1: tell us a little bit about what you've been doing Absolutely. Um, so I'll just kind of jump off where Julia left off in terms of the shelter. So we have a partnership with Covenant House Alaska, as well as with EOA down there, where we um, we have a medical clinic and we also have behavioral health as well as case management down there. And so during the pandemic, uh, the shelter numbers were lower. And so we really tried to do some outreach and really kind of with people we had already been conversing with and were um, wanting to make sure that we stayed connected with in our, our primary care system, every customer owner um, in our system, we refer to patients as customer owners. They help own and drive our health care system. And every customer owner has same-day access to a mental health clinician through their primary care or pediatric team. And so during the pandemic, we had decreased medical services but still had access. And so we really um, expanded our telehealth platform in the ways in which we could reach people. Um, And in doing so, we again saw a really strong increase in that connection one on one with the mental health clinician that's part of our medical clinics. We have routine ways in which we screen for mental health or behavioral health challenges, concerns, um, peer relationships as part of our routine visits with a teen's primary care provider or pediatrician. And so because we weren't seeing customer owners in clinic in person as much, we again, were doing a lot of calls and outreach to families to kind of connect with them. Hey, we haven't heard from you. We haven't um, had, you haven't had a clinic visit in six months. We just kind of want to check in and see how you're doing. And I would say in um, our other services where we provide uh, services for teens, our pathway home, which is our residential center, um, COVID challenged us with some of our admission criteria, but quickly adapted to that where we could get back into having customers come into services who need a little needed a little bit of a higher level of care. And then um, we worked on expanding our outpatient behavioral health services for more of that traditional one on one outpatient counseling or outpatient medication management, since we saw such an increase of need for that. And then um, I just want to take a moment to talk about rural behavioral health services because um, that can be a big challenge with lack of resources and access. And so in our rural community health centers, um, we have a behavioral health team that travels to those rural regions. And we were unable to travel for a good part of a year um, because of COVID and restrictions that the communities had. So we really had to be intentional about, again, doing outreach. And oftentimes that was by phone, which is a challenge to do mental health counseling by phone, but it was something that we did and we needed to do it. And so really just try to Stay intentional about connecting with people that we knew needed um, services or really just doing routine check ins as part of the medical team um, to make sure that we weren't losing people throughout the process. Yeah,
0: So many unique challenges that Alaska presents
1: absolutely no,
2: I really like hearing um, about the incredible work of our partners. Um, we all kind of have different components of the continuum. And, you know, and, it, and it's, um, you know, in in Providence, Alaska, we have services for um, teens in Kodiak and in Valdez mm-hmm. and in Anchorage and the Matsu Valley. And it's a ray, wide array of services from outpatient um, to crisis stabilization to uh, inpatient. And we have leveraged a lot of telehealth, like both Melissa and Julia talked about. I think the thing I want to highlight today is that our foundation um, sponsored um, joining BOA that already had a footprint in the Anchorage School District. Um, we have uh, um, a similar type of behavioral health integration in Kodiak that that was supported by the city um, to really pay for integrate clinicians to be integrated in, which is different than just a clinic inside a school. It's really like what Julia talked about. It's this opportunity to highlight mental health and to support um, the ability for kids and and staff to learn about what self-care looks like, What is how do they um, continue to seek care for if they do have um, any kind of mental health struggle or substance use struggle, and to highlight that early intervention is, is very helpful and it actually works. Um, so that type of education and prevention um, is is powerful and teaching good communication skills and peer support and meeting the kids where they are, those are the things we've been focusing on in the last uh year. And, and the foundation really supported us to be able to develop that. And then the collaboration made it more visible that hey, we want to we want to get that prevention um in the schools and not just one provider is going to be able to do that. We need to do that together um and really hold true to that integration model versus you know just kind of co-locating a clinic right next to the it's truly got a different focus, so we're really very excited about that type of prevention. And also at a system level, um, we have a partnership with the Work to Be Well um, program, which is is you know they have all kinds of di- different education programs, whether it's teaching emotional CPR, ways to care for people in the moment when they're struggling, um, and and just bringing teens in to have a voice, like we talked about earlier, to make sure that um, that there is education about mental health and advocacy for new policies at government level at local level and within the schools so those types of efforts i think really matter um, and have a lot of momentum right now we're very grateful to have that support um, and and know that we're going to need to continue to find funding for these types of prevention efforts that aren't um, necessarily um, funded right now and we're going to continue to build um the community awareness of the importance of having mental health within the schools having resources available um i think that one of the biggest challenges alaska faces is not being able to have the resources where we need them and and having people having to wait too long and that we're dedicated and want to continue to address that
0: Hmm. well that's really exciting that's really exciting to hear that all all of this work is being done Across the state, it's definitely about time. Um, so it's so exciting to to get to hear that these big steps are being made, and I think it's so great because when when that presence is there, when those resources are visible, and when that awareness is there, what you're doing is you're you're showing teens that this is valuable. You're showing The the people and and adults, you're showing everyone that that goes to that space that your mental health is a priority. This is important. This is worthy of funding. This is worthy of staff and That that's huge. I mean, we we've all grown up with school nurses, you know, there to, to help handle your scrapes and bruises. I think we need to do the exact same thing for the mental health in our in our schools and in our communities. Emily, can I
1: jump in and just add a comment? I I love talking about behavioral health integration so I can get really excited about it. But hearing about this, um, one of the things I was just sitting in is that one of the most powerful parts about behavioral health integration, whether it's in a school, a medical clinic, a shelter, is that it pushes on the system to, to be better about addressing mental health. The work has always been there. We're just better about addressing it and figuring it out. And so when we have teen in crisis in the school for example and we have integration there to respond right away all of a sudden we're faced with what do we do now and how do we handle it and so by that i mean we're pushing on the system to address mental health as a routine part of service delivery no matter where we're at and Mm -hmm. so hearing about the school work was really exciting um so i just wanted to just wanted to put my plug in there love behavioral health integration i
0: love that
1: that's
0: so great um So you've kind of touched on this a little bit um, with what we just discussed, Um, but can we share, can I have you all share at a high level, what factors contribute most to success stories with teens and their families? I think that's a really important question. Can we start with you, Renee?
2: Yeah, I was just thinking about a wonderful story um, that I think um, highlights how everybody gets transformed when we work together, that, um, you know, in in the school that, one of the schools that we were in, uh, there was a student who was really angry and threatening towards a teacher. Uh, and really that was a symptom of um, an incredible amount of distress. And, and the school districts are, have an amazing amount of resource and support. Um, and thoughtfulness around mental health that's already present people they've been moving towards that whether it's kodiak or anchorage or valdez or Matsu. there's a lot of interest um i think in trying to address um behaviors but because we had the partnership this particular student was able to immediately get support from a clinician and everybody partnered together to talk with the student about um their anger and and the the way it was shown in the classroom and um and in in very trauma-informed ways so we understood this kid had just been through lots of trauma just like all of us because we're we've been isolated from each other and challenged and when she was interacting she it was a cry for help and so what happened um was the parents got support they were able to understand why you know she was acting out and not give her um a consequence in that moment but actually seek first to 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 connect with her and to understand why that anger was there and um, come up with a solution and to address the anxiety and depression that was happening as a result of just the you know the challenges of the pandemic and so in my mind i think that's that highlights to you know the idea that when we work together to have the resource right there we are going to be able to to grow as a system like melissa just talked about and so when we share these stories, and and the um, the principal said, you know, we we want to make sure every teacher is trained in being able to to care for that student, or think of that as a symptom, not necessarily as just um, you know an acting out behavior that just needs to be stopped, but on a deeper level. And that's you know that's something that's already there, but we can we can start. They have been thinking about. It. It with the resources that we have by the kitchen being we can do the training we can provide it really on site rather than already having to pull someone in so we're excited to continue to build those resiliency skills within the staff and at the schools and within our own environment to stay curious and say like what are the what are the things really happening here um and that story i just like to share because it, it addresses policies not just that you would it's discipline it's connection with the community it's this understanding of um, having a well community means we need to be curious and build solutions um, from a, from a place of, of um, compassion and I, mm-hmm. I love those core values kind of come out when you think about um, highlighting mental health
0: that's huge and that is an instance where it could have gone so differently it could have been you know the teen could have just been dismissed and given a consequence but instead they were met with that deep respect and compassion and that is so powerful that's that's what's gonna heal julia do you want to touch on on some more of um what factors contribute most to success stories that
4: you've seen or experienced yeah absolutely i um I always love being in Renee's presence. I just I call her the Alaska Renee Brown because she's <laughs> amazing. I love
0: that.
4: <laughs> yes. Um, she said it so so eloquently. Of you know, it really takes not one person, not one clinician, not one agency can do this work alone. It takes partnerships. It takes um, a community and it takes a state to really elevate the conversation to a point that. Um, supports funding and supports integration so that it really can be done in a in a strategized and and more strategic way instead of kind of hodgepodging or putting band-aids on um, maybe a a bigger wound than than what people are realizing some of um, what renee said about some of the success stories in the schools i don't i don't think we quite realized how much support the teachers needed um, and in one of the trainings that we were doing, I mean, we we saw the teachers, but then we saw their kids at the kitchen table right behind them, you know? And so the, the challenges that we were all under um, during COVID um, were, were incredibly unique. And we were all working together to kind of figure out how we can best support one another. Um, and that was definitely um, really one of those silver lines that came out of the pandemic for us. Um, Other factors that I think contribute to um, kids, teens, young adults and their families um, really kind of finding that that balance of well-being and and, and health in their lives, I think um, a lot of it has to do with uh, making sure that their their needs are met. You know, Renee said it too. Sometimes what we say is, are you addressing the shark fin? or Are you kind of addressing what's under the water? Because sometimes Mm -hmm. behaviors can look really scary, like it's this mean dorsal fin and it looks scary. But when you kind of look underneath, it's usually an unmet need. Um, And so are are we addressing the need or are we addressing the shark fin? Um, I definitely think that's a factor that um, that we need to pay attention to. Um, Also, the the need for Uh, Supportive and safe home environments. That's definitely a a factor that contributes to um, teens, youth and young adults um, finding um, improvements and whatever issues that they're coming to services for. Um, I have a hard time calling it a success. Um, I guess that's kind of the the one part that I, I have a hard time because kind of going through therapy and healing journeys, we're not really reaching or looking for success. We're just looking for some relief and um, and some some hope um, to really build and and um, find ways to thrive in our lives. We all want to be successful. Um, but when we really try to break that down, it's, it's usually just trying to lead and um, have meaningful lives as well. Right. So and I'll there.
0: Yeah. I, I also think that as a society, as a core the way we define success is a pretty narrow road. And I think we need to, to widen that road quite a bit. Because mm-hmm. like, like you were saying, that the relief and offering hope to me, that's a success. If you're offering any sort of relief or hope to someone while they're struggling, that's success. And even though it doesn't look like that in the way that we traditionally might define that, like standing with giant bags of money—I don't know what it is—but <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's just not. Um, it's it's a very shallow, narrow definition. So I think deepening that definition is also a helpful um, paradigm shift. Melissa, is there anything that you want to add or mention?
1: Um, I really appreciate you highlighting that, Emily, because absolutely how we define success as a as a country, as a uh, society, but also in terms of our I'm just sitting in kind of how our our payment mechanisms for behavioral health and how they define success versus what we see and how we partner with teens and families on a day to day basis are very different. And so absolutely small little changes, glimmers of hope, small changes in behaviors are absolutely success and things that we should be highlighting. I don't think that I have anything different to add other than Renee uh, what Renee and and Julia said so so beautifully. I think the words I might use just concretely would be access when Mm -hmm. people need it and at the right places that they need it really uh, providing support to community providers that maybe not be might not be identified as behavioral health providers. So equipping um, Uh, you know, first responders, teachers, medical providers with the tools that they need to help have those conversations. Um, And then um, seeing beyond the symptoms they both talked about, really treating um, the entire family or the entire community, looking at the relationships that people have, rather than just, I I love the shark and the the shark fin analogy, rather than just seeing that shark fin as a standalone thing, it really is um, part of something much larger. Um, and we can get really locked into looking at one thing versus looking at a, um, you know, the broader picture.
0: I I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, or this is something that, just I just thought of this question. So we talked a little bit about telehealth and how that has been something providers have been kind of forced into this past year and a half. Um, what do you all see as the future for telehealth? And is that something that your organizations are looking to incorporate? Or is it all going back to in-person? Is, what, is, what does that look like for the trajectory? Um, can we start with Julia?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, I think for us, it's really, we were really looking forward to getting kids back in person to really try to understand where the uh, preference was, was it online, is it in person, and making sure that the models that we're building um, offer both or hybrid of both um, to really kind of continue supporting the youth where they're at. those first few moments, first few sessions can be really difficult to engage on telehealth. Mm -hmm. And so what we have found of, of kids, you know, coming in for sessions, those first couple ones, and then kind of transitioning to telehealth, if that works more convenient for them um and that's what it is is it's convenient they can be at home Um, and some of the benefits of that has been meeting their pets and you know kind of having a a little glimpse into their personal lives and they're so excited to share those pieces with us Um, so we're definitely looking at um, uh, hoping to keep both Um, prior to the um, pandemic telehealth had um, significant restrictions on who and how you could provide it. And so um, we definitely hope that some of that red tape will be lifted because it increases access um, and it provides um, people with um, choices of how they wanna engage in services.
2: Yeah, I think that's really great, Julia, that you mentioned that the we want both. We don't wanna swing one direction and have it be based primarily on um, funding and, um you know uh, really saying that that it's an important tool and we need it um and it and we want to increase the access and we i think all three of the organizations are focusing on advocacy related to tele- telehealth restrictions um but one thing i would say is that what we have noticed as well is that there are plenty of people that really like the in person care as well like it's not it, we we see that it's it's it can it's going to continue to transform the way we deliver any type of care and we absolutely want to be part of it but it's very important to be in person especially with youth to be able to see and feel and connect with them Um, we were doing telehealth work in the pandemic but once we went back into the schools we saw the the incredible amount of of um you know information you get when you're with someone in the room that you that you really just can't get over over the screen so that there's the it's super valuable and we want to continue to, to, to make sure that in person is in place as well through integration and through uh, continuing to um, build resources within the
1: communities in Alaska. For South Central, we're in the exact same space of really wanting a mixture. Um, and I, I was thinking about what Julia said about meeting meeting the teens' pets and being able to kind of see their home environment. And while that was very helpful, there are also challenges with telehealth that really speak to the value of in-person care. Um, I'm thinking of a situation where we were doing telehealth with a teen and their friend stopped by. And then so while we got to meet their friend, all of a sudden they're distracted now, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas having that captive, um, their captive attention while for an in-person clinic visit. Um, so I think really having a mixture of both. I like to joke that the telehealth hose has been turned on and we can't turn it off. I mean, if any agency was to say no telehealth. I don't think that would work. Um, So, so we're going to be in it for a while, but finding the right mixture and balance um, and what works for the family and the individual as well.
0: Yeah, I feel like that is one of the one of the few silver linings. From this past uh, you know the unprecedented time um, mm-hmm. <laughs> is is learning that flexibility and uh, kind of realizing that there is space for both both do meet needs um, and I'm glad to hear that in person is is effective and coming back and it's it's such a relief. I'm sure it's a relief for many. I'm not alone in feeling that way. Um, We talked a little bit about, I know Renee mentioned a little bit earlier about how trauma affects teens and it has affected them, um, especially this last, during the pandemic. So let's talk a little bit about that. How does experiencing trauma influence a teen's mental health? And
2: Renee, can we start with you? Yeah, I'd be happy to start. Um, I, trauma is something that we often think of as like what we what we call big T trauma, which is you know there's things that we all know are hard. You know, being mm-hmm. isolated is is one from the the pandemic of not being able to see people. Yet. We know that that's traumatic. Um, some of the smaller T's um, trauma are things that maybe. Um, our nervous system is rubbed up around. So, for example, if a kid was um, really distressed about, you know, being um, on the screen for their classes and having to speak in um, a, a Zoom meeting for their for their education, that can be kind of stressful over and over and over of like being called on, and and over time that can. Um, a road at their confidence in school so they could have both of those experiences really knowing that it was really hard to not be at school and be isolated from their friends and family or to see someone get really sick from covid that could have all been very um challenging and then also just like i said um the smaller events can be can be over time quite um challenging too and so what it ends up being is that um you know we've got to address that people have had those challenges and for people to learn and speak about that so that they can say, okay, as a kid, this is what I experienced, this is what happened for me and um, allow them to be able to start the healing process. We aren't over the pandemic just because things look a little bit brighter. Um, Kids coming back in the fall, um, I think understanding that they have gone through a lot and that they are not gonna come back to school and be the kids that they were
1: you know, before
2: the pandemic, they, they, they will be different and changed as a result of it. And and trauma doesn't have to be debilitating and, and cause you to not be able to function. It can actually be something that you learn to heal from and if we acknowledge it. So we have to know but kind of the big T traumas, we have to know the little ones. And they are different for all of us because really all you need to be traumatized is a, a nervous system that's in fight or flight and a threat. And mm-hmm. it could be a perceived or real threat. It doesn't, it, you know, it doesn't have to actually be happening in the moment. It could be something that you're afraid might happen. And then you've got your nervous system kind of coding as something really hard to manage. That, that's really what, as, as a culture, if we can continue to understand that and then create opportunities to acknowledge it and decrease those, those triggers or those events, um, that, that can help teens. You know, just by saying yeah you've been through a lot let's keep paying attention to that so you can talk about it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's huge. Well, yeah, as I say I'll jump in and kind of build on that I think I'm, I'm sitting in two things. Um, one is the idea that what Renee highlighted that trauma just doesn't go away with a conversation that it can be ongoing. And if a a teen grows up in a household where maybe the parents have experienced trauma and their nervous system is already wrapped up and the teen absorbs some of that, and then there are these big T or small T traumas, it can really influence how they look and view um, the world and their experiences and teens brains are still developing and so that has a huge impact on 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 how they might how they might sit in the future, right? How they might address the future, and so I think being able to just acknowledge trauma as again part of the human experience, whether it's big T or little t, and really understanding um, how to, how teens understand that, because if there's traumas small t traumas even that happen over and over again it can become really normalized for a teen and they might not see it as trauma they might just see it as everyday life that they're living and so not to say that we need to highlight it as this really scary trauma thing but this is what happens when our body goes through these stressful experiences our nervous system changes we become a little bit more amped up but there are ways that we can offset that and ways that we can um help to um you know, to calm our nervous systems down a little bit and um, kind of get back to some of those normal pathways. I shouldn't use the word normal. Some of those pathways that we know are helpful and familiar. Um, so, um, yeah, trauma is is definitely something that can influence teens well-being and their development for sure. Mm-hmm.
4: Absolutely. And I'd add some of, um, Melissa, what you said about kind of absorbing parents trauma and what's happening there is most the the conditioning and reconditioning of belief sets. You know, we have all, um, we have different belief sets based on our experiences and how we were grown up or the environments or, um, you know, big T, little T traumas. Um, They build how we view and see the world. And so when those belief systems serve a purpose, say um, someone has gone through significant traumas um, where they had to defend themselves. Fighting was a survival mechanism that made sense in those moments and that became a belief pattern in themselves that they'll do anything to protect themselves. Well, once they're removed from that environment and they keep fighting, people are wondering, why are they fighting? Well, that's because they've become conditioned to that that that's how they've stayed safe. Um, and so I, I think that's another piece of how we see that and how it transforms and evolves, just because you remove someone from an environment doesn't necessarily mean those experiences also go away. Um, and really understanding kind of what's underneath and, and feeding that um, comes back to our belief systems.
0: Right. and back, back... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Emily. Oh, I was just going to say, and that goes back to your shark fin metaphor, Mm -hmm. too, is that what we see and what we're perceiving isn't necessarily, that's not the whole story of this other person's lived experience or even of our own lived experience. What were you going to say, Renee? Well, I
2: was just thinking of an example of that um, where, you know, there was just a great dialogue between the teachers and the clinicians in in a school meeting where they were talking about kids that um, would not eat necessarily that came to school with their mask on and they wouldn't take their mask off and um recognizing that um that that was some negative belief they had about themselves and when they were behind the mask they could feel like kind of not seen and didn't didn't feel like they they could share their face anymore. They liked being behind that and didn't actually want to eat or be take their mask off at all. And that, you know, when we think about that, um, that's an opportunity for healing too. And to understand there's something behind that. There's some kind of traumatic event or belief or something that's happened for the child when they're experiencing that. And when we when we add the conversation about how to allow the the child to create maybe some more safety first and get calm and and um and in this instance this was a younger youth um that everybody kind of came together to think about how do we how do we make this easier for people that are struggling um with either wearing a mask or not or the stress around that and and I like the um the healing that conversation that happened and the person that you know was talking about this student immediately said oh she might need services she might need care you know we don't want to She's not eating at school. that's definitely stressful. but let's move to the next um, you know, discussion of does this kid need a referral for more services? and and that trauma can is you can treat it. you can heal from it. and um, but but the longer you go without like a knowing that it's trauma and then that that's not a real belief, the harder it is. And so we're I think teens um, that get care right away um, have a way of transforming um, our, our community and our and recognizing that, um, that they they actually have the, the tools within, but they need the right safe place and the community to to
1: help them. There's a saying we have at SCF, which is there's a story behind your eyes. So really lean, leaning in and trying to understand the story behind the eyes, and that's really where you'll find the healing. And how do we help support and work with work with somebody because um teens are amazingly resilient um, they they just have so many gifts that we can learn from and so learning learning their story and understanding their story is an important part of um, just knowing who they are absolutely mm-hmm.
0: so i want to wrap up with with one last question um, so what are some of the ways that I, so i know that not everyone can be a provider not everyone can Can work directly in the mental health sector. What are some of the ways that community members can help support this mission to provide more mental health resources for our youth and our teens in Alaska? What what does that look like? Can we start with you, Melissa?
1: Sure. Um, So many ways. So the first I. This really being part of the conversation um, mm-hmm. is kind of the first thing that came, come to the table, be part of the conversation and in doing so be an advocate. Um, be an advocate for whether that is legislation, whether that is resources and financing, but being an advocate of mental health and being an advocate um, of community wellness because really this is a community issue and, and um, in healthy individuals make up healthy communities. And um, healthy communities can be really powerful. So, being at the table, being an advocate—those are the first two things that come to my mind. Yes. Yeah. Julia, Julia, what are your you thoughts?
4: Want... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I hope a ditto is okay in this uh, forum <laughs> because that was beautifully said. I think by us, um, our community members having um, a voice and supporting mental health for young people is incredibly important. I feel like that's Another one of those silver linings that have come out of the pandemic that I really hope continues to increase um, and get louder over time. Um, because our, our youth are, are vulnerable and, and they're struggling um, and it's important that these conversations are happening um, in addition to funding. Um, these services are um, especially in Alaska and and throughout the country, um, can be really difficult to obtain and the red tape and the barriers um, they need to be removed so that people can get help when they need it. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Yeah, I would echo Julia and Melissa said it beautifully around advocacy and really having the conversation of how is that um, embedded into everything that we do, whether it's in the workplace, in the schools, we need to be thinking about focusing inward and, and I would start even by saying that it, each of us needs to continue to care for our own mental health and, and talk openly about it and make sure that um, we learn, whether it's through um, Mental Health First Aid, is a great course that every, everybody can take and really starts you down that road of understanding how it takes um, our a community to, to really create wellness, that we can't any one um, legislative act or one provider can't do that. Um, the other thing that I would say is that um, when we are looking at budgets, um, oftentimes, you know, behavioral health in the past would be the first thing we'd say, okay, maybe maybe we need to go there and cut that budget and think about it. Um, you know, from the perspective of you will spend that money somewhere else, and it won't be in prevention or intervention; it'll be in in things like the justice system and the um, the court system, and to start to understand about how that works, that we can really, that this is, I, I see that already changing um, within Alaska that the focus and the conversations happening much more about, you know, we will, we need to transform our system to continue to um to really support um, community access to care. And, and I'm excited about that. And I I love the the partnerships that we're building so that we can we can share that and teach people more about it's not when you cut that budget it's just going to show up somewhere else and it's going to be even more expensive
0: absolutely and these services i mean they save lives these services save lives and not only that they they improve quality of life which is going to keep our communities thriving it's going to keep our youth happy and healthy and that keeps people in alaska that keeps healthy and happy people in alaska which is really what we want. And so thank you so much, Melissa, Julia, and Renee for being at the table for all the amazing work that you've been doing. I'm so excited for the future of mental health care and the services being provided to Alaskan youth. We need it. So we need you. Thank you so much. Um, Make sure to follow us on social media at Providence Health Alaska on Facebook and Providence, Alaska on Instagram. Free mental health resources and tools are available at worktobewell.org. That's work, the number two, bewell.org. And most importantly, if you or someone you know is struggling with mental health, there is always someone to talk at the Alaska Care Line, 1-877-266-4357. You are not alone. Thank you so much for joining us.